Be good. <laughs> Hello there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. It's your pal, Andrew. I am sitting in Oaxaca, Mexico with my wife, Tiffany, my little dog, Pele, and my mom, Janine. We're all down here having a great time. Uh, Oaxaca is a beautiful and interesting city. Uh, We're doing this on our multi-year journey from Alaska to Argentina. If you're interested in learning more about that journey, go to mtp.dog. It tells the whole story there. And yes, that's a .dog website. Um, I'm going to get right into today's episode because it's a damn good one. It's with our new friend, Dan Perraro. Dan is an artist extraordinaire. He's an incredibly prolific comic artist, Bizarro Comics, bizarro.com, and see uh, just a, a fraction of the amount of work this guy has done in his life. For 33 years, Dan did a joke a day for uh, and, and drew a cartoon every single day for 33 years. I don't know what the math on that is because I'm real dumb, but it's a shitload of comics and they're funny they're interesting they're well drawn um yeah it's very cool and we're very privileged to be hooked up with dan via chris ryan dr christopher ryan um he's the uh, if you don't know for some reason if you're listening to this show and you don't know who chris ryan is he's the author of sex at dawn uh the host of the tangentially speaking podcast and a friend and he hooked us up with dan in san miguel de allende which is a beautiful city in mexico where uh, Dan and his wife have retired. Um, Dan's an awfully busy guy to be retired. He's still drawing uh, one cartoon a week. Um, He's going to tell you all about it. Uh, But yeah, he's also doing beautiful art outside of his comic. He's doing like oil paintings and watercolors and cool sketches. Uh, He's just a genuine artist. The guy loves art. He loves to produce things, and he's damn good at it. We talked about all kinds of great stuff here. Retiring in Mexico, living in the U.S. Uh, we briefly touched on his 33-year career. Talked about his current art. We talked about olive oil and Popeye. Uh, we talked about religion, his influences. Oh, and I want to mention that we uh, there's a couple venue changes or a venue change in the middle of this podcast. We started on his roof, uh, uh, Dan's roof. It was a beautiful day overlooking the city of San Miguel de Allende. And uh, you can almost imagine a comic strip making fun of podcasting where as soon as you bring out the microphones, weird bullshit noise starts to happen in the background. There was a guy doing masonry work suddenly behind us. So you hear some tink, tink, tink of a hammer in the background. And then, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes in, it just starts to rain. So we had to stop and move to another location, uh, which is good because I get to see Dan's studio, which is way cool. What a privilege. Anyhow, I think it was a good conversation. I really like Dan. I think we kind of became pals in the, in the brief time that we, we hung out. Hope we get to see them again. Uh, you should definitely check out Dan's stuff. He's got so much uh, art and things that you can look at online. He's on Instagram, he's on Facebook. Um, he's on, you can start at bizarrocomics.com 
but you can also, uh, we're going to put up links to everything on our website. It might be the easiest way. If you want to go check out Dan, just go to mtp.dog, listen to the podcast, and you'll see a link to his, and Dan has a lot of websites. <laughs> but uh, you can see his fine art. You can see the art that we reference in this conversation. Um, I think it'd be beneficial if you actually went over there and, and looked at his stuff while you listen to this podcast, if you can, especially the last, like, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Okay, I'm going to shut it down here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you for your, your support. If you're a Patreon supporter, we'd love that. Patreon.com forward slash monkey tooth. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just hope you're well in whatever you're doing in your life. Whenever you hear this, I hope it's good for you. And if not, tell me about it. mtp.dog forward slash contact. Until next time, enjoy this episode with our new pal, Dan Peraro. Hey, I'm in San Miguel de Allende with Dan. Thank you, Dan. You have, uh, for a guy from St. Louis, a kind of exotic last name, Peraro. Peraro. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Peraro. Peraro. My yeah. last name is Couch, which is not an exotic name anywhere unless I'm like maybe in Southeast Asia or something. So, right. You didn't, you, uh, I went to school in Oklahoma with a girl named Diane Couch. I can tell you this. Uh, Papa was kind of a Rolling Stone, but uh, his <laughs> his dad, my dad, was one of sixteen children. Wow, uh, thirteen of whom survived infancy. So there's anytime somebody's like, "Are you related to so and so?" Probably couch. I'm like, <laughs> possibly, very very likely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're we're not in St. Louis anymore. Um, I'm I'm from uh, not far from the imaginary line, the Mason Dixon. I don't know which side St. Louis is on of that. Particular I don't either. Border. St. Louis is west of where you normally even think about the Mason-Dixon line, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not actually from St. Louis. You're I'm not actually from, from Kansas City. Oh, okay. Missouri, no. same yeah, state. Yeah. It's a, uh, and I went to college in St. Louis oh, okay. for a semester. <laughs> so you get lumped in with St. Louis, maybe. And that was, uh, But that's all the college I had. Uh, I quit after a semester and just decided to unleash myself on the world and see what happened. Yeah. The answer was n not much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not much not happened. Much. <laughs> uh, I come from Memphis, uh, and ah. I'm um, only slightly less well educated. You, you're a well educated guy, though. You're a smart guy. I've educated myself by reading a lot because I didn't. W I didn't want to be uneducated, but I also didn't want to stay in college. Yeah, same. So I decided to just leave college and read a lot. Did you travel? Yeah, where'd you of go? Of course, yeah, travel. I went to uh, I went to Europe for four months when I was twenty, and since then I've I've just taken it every advantage I can to uh, I mean every opportunity I've can to to go somewhere. I've spent a fair amount of time in Guatemala. I used to have friends. In fact, I had some friends that had that retired there, and that's how and that was my inspiration for retiring in Mexico because I just I just sort of I don't know I was up for an adventure, something more interesting and something cheaper. Um, it's a lot cheaper to retire in in Mexico or Central America. Well, it's it's a lot cheaper to retire almost anywhere than it is in the United States, <laughs> right. with the exception of maybe Norway, Switzerland. Yeah, what yeah so well, that's a good choice. I mean, coming down here, I, we're right now. I guess just give some context. We'll, we'll put maybe a picture or something if that's cool with you. Yeah, we're on your uh, 
rooftop patio overlooking the beautiful uh, mountains and yeah it's really beautiful up here this is and this is our touchstone man we come up here every evening at about six o'clock and just hang out and watch the sunset and philosophize and have a cocktail and maybe a toke and it's just awesome yeah yeah i mean this particular location is awesome but there's something about mexico and i've, I've read it in your blog your appreciation for what sort yeah. of place this is like yeah. the the pace the people the whole thing is like a it's very different very different from the states one of the things that i heard recently that i thought was true and telling is they say that americans live live to work and mexicans work to live and it's true the the um i mean of course there's a, there's a lot of like really wired high strung kind of professionals and stuff in the big cities of course like there are anywhere anywhere but the average mexican family they they mostly enjoy family relationships um they've got enormous families they live together for a very long time usually out of i mean primarily out of necessity but they also kind of they choose that um family is more important to them than ambition um there's also a cultural difference here. Because of that, this is another interesting cultural difference that I recently came across. Um, one of my Mexican friends was telling me about this, is that talent, individual talent, is not particularly highly regarded in Mexico. It's thought to be sort of selfish and arrogant to show off what you can do that other people cannot. And... And so it's your duty is more to you, com your community and your family than it is to yourself. There isn't a sense, uh, a really high sense of, I can't live this way. I'm going off to be a whatever. Like they don't, that doesn't happen very much in Mexico. It's, it's more about, but the, but, the, but the positive side of that is that the teenagers are, generally speaking, the teenagers are, and the kids are sort of happier and well-behaved. They come from these very kind of, they come from these families where they they have a sense of belonging and they have a and so if any one person's mom or dad is a complete asshole well they've also they're also always surrounded by aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and so they've got a lot of adults to kind of fill in the gaps when we first moved here our gardener who was only in his 30s he had a wife and like three small kids and an infant that was that was like only 6 weeks old and he fucking died Ugh. of, he died of like uh, pneumonia, that's what they say. Although some people say that it wasn't pneumonia, but nonetheless, he got sick and died. Like just all of a sudden one day he was dead. And we were so worried about his wife and all these little kids. And then we, we went to the funeral and we went to, and we visited his home and stuff. And we realized they all live in a gigantic family of about 30 people. And in in a compound of a number of different apartments and things with a common courtyard, and you know, as anyway, this is how they've built their lives. And so, his loss of income was absorbed by the rest of the family, and it didn't just toss his wife and kids out onto the street. And you gotta kind of admire that system. Absolutely. You know, there's there's some logic, there's some real logic to that. And I think there's, even though as an American, I'm raised to want my own apartment, my own car, <laughs> right. my own house, my own thing, right? Yeah. And I don't want to be any, I don't want to be anywhere near my parents. I don't even want to live in the same town as my parents. Not that I don't adore my parents and I do. We get along great. I have no qualms with my parents. 
But it's so much easier to be myself with a capital M if I'm not around my family who make me act like I did when I was a kid. You know, like I think it was Ram Das who said, you think you're enlightened? Go home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we all start acting like the same idiotic teenage, you know, 13-year-old moron when we're around our siblings and our parents. So, of course, I have that. I have that drive to be myself and to be independent in a way from everything, <laughs> from the family. But at the same time, I understand there's a great deal of psychological and emotional health to be had in staying with your people, staying with your, whatever that community is that you're raised in, you know, your family and your, it's it, like, there's, there's definitely a, it certainly goes back to just this tribal idea that, you know, we're all from the same village and these, this is who we are. Well, I was going to say, I, I'm, I've only been in country for a couple months. You've been here for three years? Yeah, three, three years. years. Uh, the sort of things that I'm noticing about uh, just Mexicano culture and you know, there's, there's a few things. One thing that I really do appreciate about your, your point to the community aspect of it, yeah. I'm always trying to figure out what is a Spanish influence and what is like an indigenous people's influence. Yeah, that's and, a good question. And that, that particular thing uh, as it relates to like community and where your place is in a community, I, 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 I've been to Spain, you know, I, I know that like individual achievement is something that's kind of important. I mean, family is a big deal in Spain for yeah. sure. But in the indigenous cultures, um, for instance, yeah. we hung out in Alaska and met these uh, woman who pr- um, uh, competes in the, it's called WIO. It's like the World Eskimo Indian Olympics. And the whole point of WIO is not to say, okay, I'm the best and all you fuckers are, you got to cat, you know, you suck. Yeah. It's not to just defeat your enemies. It's to right. set the new high watermark. For the rest of the of the community, rest isn't of the tribe. that an interesting take on sports? It's a very, it's a whole different thing. Right. It's not. Right. I, I want to beat uh, the guys from this other tribe. Yeah. I want to help everyone achieve this because if I can do this, certainly we can yeah. all do this. And then where's the next mark? And it's it. It reminds me of that whole thing. Like, hey, we're we're looking after our little yeah. our little tribe. Now that's a cool. That's a very cool idea. And I, I, I mean, I think that this touches on. The reason that so, one of the reasons that so many Americans in in today's world are depressed and lost and searching for that thing that's going to, quote unquote, make them happy, you know? Or we're trying to win a game that you can't win. It's right. Well, we're trying to win a game that that doesn't exist. (laughs) It's like I always ask myself, what is this game we're playing? Like, what am I... What am I competing for? What's the, what am I, you know, where am I going? What am I, what do you win? And how do you win it? Well, nothing and you can't. It is, that isn't a, it isn't a, it isn't something you can win. I think a lot of this comes from the imperialistic kind of capitalistic history of, of conquest of Northern Europe, of the Spanish and the English, which were, because we're talking about the U.S. and Canada. That, that whole crush crush the opposition is a very capitalistic idea i think and and i'm completely talking out of my ass here this is just stuff i've thought up i didn't i didn't read about this in college or anything but uh (laughs) well then forget it let me hit pause here we're done (laughs) and just a gigolo and everywhere i go people know the part i'm playing paid for every dance selling its romance there will come a day and youth will pass away what will they say about me 
when the end comes, I know there's a just a gigolos. Life goes on without me. And just a gigolo, everywhere I go. People know the part I'm playing. Paid for every dance, selling each romance. Oh, what they say. And there will come a day, and youth will pass away. What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know they'll suggest a gigolo. Life goes on. Without me, but it's um, but it but it's true. There's 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 so much, there's so much about the human psyche that is intentionally neglected by capitalism. Um, by necessity. Yeah, by necessity, exactly. Because what you really need in a capitalist society, you've got a handful of people at the top that need an army of slaves. And that's what they and that's what American culture has become. Public schools, I think, are they're they're training little capitalist slaves to grow up and buy shit and get in debt and pay interest to the bank. I mean, it's, and when you step, you know, in the U.S., I had a sense for this, but living in Mexico, living outside the U.S. for three years, and I've only visited like five times. I I mean, a total of maybe, I've spent maybe four weeks total in the U.S. in the last three years. So I've I've really, you know, embedded myself in this culture down here. And when I go back, my wife and I both, it is just so obvious to us, the message of everything is buy more stuff, buy more stuff, buy more stuff. Make more money, buy more stuff. If you're not happy, it's because you don't have the right job, enough money, and the right stuff. And it's just not true. The whole thing is a gigantic lie to keep people like Donald Trump and Jeffrey (laughs) Epstein happy and fucking 13-year-old girls. Oh, my God. That's what America... and, And, you know, and I... I don't mean to say that every person in America, most people don't know this. Most people don't see it. They don't, I didn't fully see it and understand it until I left what, what a slave I was to capitalism. And I'm not saying I'm cured. I still want to buy stuff. I'm down, you know, I'm I'm down here where stuff is cheap. Ooh, it's cheap. I'm going to buy it. Right. But I don't, I don't, I don't buy a lot of stuff here, but, but you can, it's so much cheaper to live here, but. Well, it, let me. To, but it's to, not why I'm here. I, no, I know, and, and <laughs> it's important to delineate between, like, we're in a time where subtlety is like just, it's a weird word that we don't even want to discuss. Yeah. The idea of a subtle argument. You're not yeah. saying Americans are fucked up. Uh, uh, the system in which Americans are are operating is fucked up. Is I mean exactly, and and the the degree to which Americans are fucked up is is generally as a result of that system. Something that I've noticed, uh, just traveling, when you're in America, it's hard to see it. It's it's like the difference between trying. You can't look at the sun, but if you look at the moon when it's full, you can see what the sun's up to. You know, like when you're in America, you quite you can't quite see what's up, but when you're here, you can see the influence yeah, radiating right. off of right. America. Like that 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 consumer mm-hmm. culture. It's not that it doesn't exist here. It's they just haven't effectively implemented it to the extent to yeah. which it's been implemented back home yeah do you know what i mean like exactly well in the united states um this this was something that was coming up uh it was in the news more often in the old days and i'll bet it's still happening but in the old days and by the old days i mean of course my earlier life (laughs) um but like in the 80s when maybe it was in the 80s when 
the exact right sneakers started to become the important thing. Like, you know, before that, like in the 60s and 70s, you just had shoes there on. were like three brands of tennis shoes and you just wore them because you, they were required for gym. Yeah. It wasn't a, you know, and, and it was a fashion statement to some degree, but it was because like, these are my casual, cheap, shitty shoes. And so that's your fashion statement. Like I'm just wearing tennis shoes because I'm cool, right? And then along came Nike. And at some point, I mean, this is, people have been killed over shoes. Sure. Teenagers have been murdered mm. for the right shoes. Tell me that's not capitalism's fault. What, what? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, what yeah. culture values a specific item of clothing to the degree that you would murder someone for it? You know? I can't remember the comedian who said it, but they were talking about like, how fucked up has a society got to be when you can have uh, a thing called death by chocolate? <laughs> Like you can be so jaded as a society that you can just joke about death by overeating when right. like so much of the world is suffering with malnourishment. Oh, it's, it's, but it's a, you know, for, for what it's worth. And this is, I think a kind of interesting segue into your actual work. Uh, you know, the, um, if it were not for all the things that are so weird about America, art like yours or what your, your, your popular work would not be able to exist. Do you know what I mean? Without the tension of you being able to rail against it effectively yeah, or comedically, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, like yeah. Cervantes wouldn't have had Don Quixote if it wouldn't been for like the conquest of knights. And you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, exactly. There's never been any shortage of things wrong with the human race. And, and do you like how I just compared you to Cervantes? It's because of your swarthy mustache and beard. I'm not just kissing your ass here. Well, you know, Cervantes is enormously popular. Hugely popular. Well, you, you guys have been to Guanajuato, Guanajuato a city yeah. not, what, an hour from here. A beautiful, yeah. beautiful little town. Yeah. And like yeah, that. you'd think Cervantes was born and raised there and, and, and wrote... His uh, books there, but no, nope. uh, he's just uh, been adopted by that town somehow. Like that, like uh, this that. is Cervantes Festival and stuff, but yeah, it's, it's very popular in Mexico. Uh, so I, I was very curious when uh, I've got to say I'm a fan of your work. I'm very glad to be, but um, unfortunately, I've only been so for like three days. When Chris was like, <laughs> "You got to check out my friend," uh, I just I was like, "Man, how I'm I know I've seen your work. It's got a very familiar feel of like the yeah. the comic. I know I've read the comic, but I." To associate that with the guy that I'm sitting with now is almost like an abstraction that I couldn't. Well, if claim. you were, if if you've only been looking at my comics for three days, there's a there's a good chance that a bunch of them that you've seen are are, are not even mine. I uh, know. Uh, uh, do you know the name? difference? Well, you know, I mean, the, there's a difference. Okay, so I I do a, I do a newspaper, a syndicated newspaper cartoon strip called Bizarro, yes. and it was published seven days a week since 1985, mm -hmm. and up until. January 1st of 2018, which is just a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, I did all of those. Well, I, I had a handful of friends and people would, would donate gags here and there, but I, 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 I drew 100% of them and I wrote 95% of them. So anyway, joke a day for 33 years. And then I, um, I was ready to retire and um, my uh, editors at the syndication said, what if you didn't retire completely? What if you hired someone else to do the Monday through Saturday cartoons and you only had to write and draw one cartoon, the big Sunday extravaganza each week? And I thought, well, you know, and then you'd still be getting paid and blah, 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 you know, and you could decide what you pay to the person who works for the, you know, and I thought, well, gosh, yeah, 
that's how capitalism is supposed to work, isn't it? You get other people to do your work, <laughs> but you get the money. So I thought, well, okay, I'll give this a try. So you mean you have a <laughs> I've been slave. railing against it for years, but I'm going to give it a try now. Uh, <laughs> so I, and I had, I had a close friend who's, in, who's a gifted cartoonist, and we've worked together off and on for years. He used to write gags for me, and he used to color for me, and I've hired him to do a vacation week for me a few times when I just was going nuts and had to get out of town. So I knew I could trust him and do a great job, so I hired him. His name is Wayno. That's the, Wayno, the name yeah. that he uh, writes under or that he uh, cartoons under. So Wayno now does the Monday through Saturday, and I do the Sunday cartoons uh, for the last year and a half. And it's, and it's been lovely. It's been wonderful. Although, it's interestingly, interestingly enough, I used to have to come up with seven jokes every week, and now I only have to come up with one. That's and it's way harder. ten times harder. <laughs> Because my every time I just reach into that drawer, it's got to be the best one. My brain just shuts the drawer and goes, "Dude, I did this for you every day, all day for thirty three years. Give right. me a fucking break." Yeah, and it's just like it's really hard to write cartoons now. Yeah, I, but it's partly because I'm out of practice. Mm. It's just because I don't think about it all week like I used to. You know, right, right. I, and now I'm painting. I'm doing like uh, you know, I'm doing actual uh, fine art. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say fine art because it's not, so I, I call it non-cartoon art. But yeah, it's yeah. fine art. It's, what it's people better if you don't say it. Is. Let yeah. me say it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so now I'm doing that, and um, it's a whole different, a whole different mindset, completely different mindset, um, completely different style. My my fine art is not at all in the style of my cartoons. Um, although my cartoons, people would some some people would argue because I overdraw my cartoons. Some people would argue that a lot of my cartoons out of the past were were and it's because I'm a frust- it's because I wanted to be a fine artist and I as a young man in fact the whole time I was growing up as a kid my favorite thing to always do was art and um I was always better than other kids my age etc I had obviously a lot of natural talent in that area it was just uh, I, I got I got lucky the the ladle dip out of the gene pool uh, pulled some good art genes for me so I, I was good at always good at it and that's what I wanted to be but I couldn't figure out how to make a living at it and then I ended up in commercial art advertising art which was really you can make good money there but oh boy uh it's rough it's hard it's hard work um and it's not creative at all it's 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 only barely better than being in a cubicle pushing monies to be in a cubicle i mean pushing monies i didn't even know how to talk about it i've never had a job like that (laughs) what do people do in cubicles push money (laughs) i would would think so (laughs) i don't know what they're doing in there pushing time up until the moment it stops for you right they're typing and I don't know what they're doing. They're doing things. Um, so I, but basically I was sitting in a cubicle, cubicle drawing potato chips and stuff like, which was only marginally better. At first it was like, oh cool, I get to draw for a living. And then after a few years of that, I was like, oh my God, another bag of potato chips. How can I draw this? So anyway, um, I got into cartooning because of that. So cartooning was, was a, a second choice after fine art. And I like it. I like cartooning. It's, a, it's definitely a good, good uh, middle ground. But yeah, I was a frustrated fine artist. So some of my Sunday, some of my some of my cartoons from the old, from any any time in the thirty three years I was doing it by myself, some of them are like these grand murals with a joke <laughs> hidden in them somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would like draw the hell out of these things, especially if I felt like the joke was at all weak. I was like, just overdraw it, give people a lot of I'd stuff to, to look, look at, and it, and it works. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you're. Your sim- secret symbols, I think, are really hip. I really like that sort of thing. Yeah, the secret symbols are fun. I I started this. I started that in the early ni- in the mid nineties. Um, I 
I was drawing a cartoon, and um, my 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 drawing style, my my art style is, is fairly realistic. I'm sort of a surrealist in the in the tradition of Salvador Dali or Rene Magritte, those kind of uh, painters. Um, so my thing has always been realism, and and even in my cartoon, my cartoons are more realistic than a lot of people's cartoons. Um, and so, how did we get on this? Oh, the secret simple thing. So one time, I just decided to draw some out of place weird thing. Uh, I think it. W- I think it was literally the upside down bird. I just put a bird hanging from underneath a branch instead of on top of it, the way parrots sometimes do. But at the time, I'd never seen a parrot do that, and I'd never seen a bird do that. And my birds are typically not parrots, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So I started doing that. I did it one time just for fun, and I just kind of hid it there just to wonder if people would see it. And boom, I started getting emails from people like, what does this bird mean? Did I, am I the only one who's noticed it? Yes, you're the only one who noticed it. Um, so I realized that people liked it and I was enjoying it. So I started doing it all the time. And, and when I was a kid, I used to really love those uh, seek and find kind of games, you know, where they give you a list of all the things hidden in a very complicated picture. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm already drawing really complicated pictures. And I like to draw complicated pictures. I should start. So I started putting in a piece of pie and a a shoe without a foot in it uh, and without a partner um a little, a little alien a little stick eyeball of a stick of dynamite <laughs> yeah. a little lit stick of dynamite i thought well this is kind of a you know that's like a fun sort of charged image yeah. and every, and and it's funny to this day i will still it's been happening regularly but i still there's tons of people who know about these the the, the these secret symbols and they and i put a little number by my signature like um like uh, Al Hirschfeld used to do this. He would hide his daughter's name, Nina, in the line work of his drawings uh, in New York back in the early 20th century when he was doing a lot of Broadway and film th- pictures. So he would he would draw Nina. N- he would do this, like this shaky, jinga, 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 jinga thing for hair, right? But then within that, you would see an N-I-N capital A. So it was like really easy, to very vertical kind of letters. It was very easy to hide them. And he would put a little number, how many Ninas to look for so you'd know when to quit. So I just adopted that. I've always admitted I took that from Al Hirschfeld, the number. I put a little number by my signature to, to let people know how many symbols to look for. And then, but then there's, I think, 13 symbols in total. And those are listed on my website at bizarro.com under secret symbols. But to this day, all these years later, I get people going, what's with that? Like somebody writes me and say, why is there a piece of pie on the floor? And I'll say, well, I've been doing this. And I'll explain it. And they'll go, oh my God, you're kidding. I have read you for 20 years and I never noticed that. Oh my gosh, they're everywhere. There they are. Oh my gosh, there's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And then they discover it. Like every week somebody new discovers it who's been reading my cartoon for decades. <laughs> like, oh shit, they're everywhere. Wow, how did I miss this? What a sweet <laughs> yeah. gift. It is, it's like a fun little, yeah, it's just like a fun little Easter egg to hide, you know, I, to find. I particularly like the little olive oil thing. Uh, oh. Yeah, uh, olive oil. Oh, the O2? Yeah, well, uh, O2 like, is for the, is uh, is right. my olive oil symbol. Yeah, and then yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll put olive oil's face. Right, olive right. oil, uh, Popeye's girlfriend. Believe me, I'm I'm a fan. Uh, I feel like I am personally what would have happened if like Popeye's spinach allergy didn't make him cool, but like turned him off or turned <laughs> olive oil off and or like just killed him. You know, uh, I'm what would have happened. I'm like the spawn of Bluto. And olive oil. I mean, I've, I, I feel like this is exactly what that guy would look like. This link, lanky, bearded, sort of lurching, <laughs> insecure character. Do you think of the effect that spinach has on Popeye as an allergy? Oh, yeah. I mean, he freaks out. Like, he just gets super <laughs> really violent and swells up. See, like, I was, uh, it's, that's a fascinating concept. <laughs> I, I, w- I just bought Hook, Line, and Singer, Sinker. 
I bought the original explanation that spinach is good for you. It sure. makes you strong. Eat it like Popeye and you'll get big muscles. Uh, yeah, I just, it never even occurred to me. It's much more like an allergy. It's and an it's affliction, really. And an addiction. <laughs> it's an affliction and an addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's all swollen and weird and super violent. Like yeah. No, really, it's true. That's it's hilarious. A, it, like even his speech is even more erratic when you hear. Sometimes his bicep turns into a a, a uh, ship, a ship, <laughs> like a, a battleship, and starts shooting at his <laughs> fist or something. I, yeah. yeah, that's healthy. Eat more spinach <laughs> <laughs> and defeat the rapist in your town. Like I could never stand cooks spinach. <laughs> it's a very bizarre cartoon mm. if you think about. It uh, is the reason I the re, well my olive oil is uh, I call my wife olive oil. Um, I started doing that online because I didn't want to just, you know, out who I when we were first dating. I just I don't like to I don't like to um I don't want to I don't want to expose a private person to a public life, so sure. I just don't use their real name, right? So, um I've kind of come up with nicknames for for various people in my life uh in my in my blogs and stuff. Yeah. So, I started calling her olive oil because she's a head taller than I am and she's real thin. She's like a very tall skinny lady who's yeah. and I'm a short guy with giant forearms. <laughs> I don't have giant forearms. <laughs> um, I do have tiny yeah. knobby knees. Though. We're going to get like, some of those just spinach like, cans. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I do smoke a pipe. Although I, I, don't, I don't have the same thing in my pipe that Popeye typically did. <laughs> but I, 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 so do we go. I do regularly smoke a pipe. So uh, anyway, that's where olive oil came from. Yeah, I like that. I'm sorry I keep dragging us off into weird directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. I got to run to the bathroom. Can we, yeah, can we totally. do it? Yeah, totally. Let's All hit right. pause. Okay, we're back. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I'm sure it was brilliant and life-changing. One thing um, in being a, a very recent, well, I think I was a fan of yours, but I didn't realize who you know it, that I was. You know, I just I right. was aware. But anyhow, I, I, in looking at it, I wanted to know. So I'm fascinated. A lot of people uh, say, like a guy who writes really sad music is generally a pretty upbeat dude. If when uh, you are or a lady, when you meet them, they're like, oh, they get that out of them. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, that, that's right. not sitting in there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like uh, yeah. uh, expurgate that particular demon and I can live a normal, happy life. Right. I wanted to see if you were an angry guy or if you were like, uh, you know, I, I didn't quite know what sort of person would be behind these these images. Do my like, cartoons seem angry or do they seem not angry? Well, that's the interesting thing. Now, your paintings, when I look at your, your fine art and I see definitely some like, anger and frustration in that that's what i perceive now again i've only got just a few semesters more of college than you do so <laughs> i'm not exactly the world's expert on interpreting art but i uh, there's definitely some uh I, I was wondering like man is this guy angry or is he totally happy because he doesn't have to be angry because he put it on no, on in paint I, uh but some like some of the social commentary stuff and the the way you deal with like uh, social commentary with like humorous surrealistic turn yeah i'm glad to see that you are you're like a well-adjusted happy in person guy. i'm a nice guy but my my wife will tell you that i that yeah i definitely have a, a really deep-seated streak of anger right mm -hmm. the thing that gets me going the most is injustice like i want life to be fair yeah. i want the world to be fair and it's not certainly not and that pisses me off on a regular basis yeah. so um when of all I, the things we want to be real you know, yeah i'm glad right. that yours is like, fairness yeah, I, um yeah so that kind of stuff i mean i um generally speaking in a in a 
you know, in just a, a party situation or a social situation, I, you know, I'm kind of, I can be, I'm, I'm sort of what you call a performing introvert. I'm, you know, I, it's like I can be the life of the party, but then I have to go home and be by myself for three days and not talk to anybody because, you know, you just get that kind of, you get it out of your system. I'm not an extrovert, but I'm not a total extrovert. Um, I've never heard that phrase before, performing. A performing introvert, yeah. yeah. Johnny Carson was a very famous one. There's a lot of performers who are introverts in their personal lives. Johnny yeah. Carson hated parties. He didn't like meeting the public. He wanted to be by himself. And when he was on stage, he seemed like the friendliest, sweetest guy in the world. Yeah. And in person, he was just not that guy. He was, that was, that was his TV persona. Um, not to say that he was an asshole. It's just that he was not right. the, that guy that you would run into on the street and have a two-hour conversation <laughs> with and go to lunch he's just not that guy yeah <laughs> but he seemed like it on tv which is what made everybody love him so much yeah, yeah. um i'm a little bit like that i used to do stand-up comedy and i I, did, I actually did a little bit of television for a while which was weird and um but i so i can be a friendly funny guy but then i can man i can get i just can, can get so angry and depressed and and indignant about just women's rights uh lgbtq plus rights i hope i got all those letters in there um about about politics about religion about just any kind of bigotry or that stuff just drives me nuts yeah um the healthcare system in the united states oh my god it's criminal it's a fucking criminal syndicate is what it is it's the it's the modern mafia is the way i look at it down here in Mexico, they have state-of-the-art hospitals, state-of-the-art dentists, doctors of all kinds, and you can pay as you go. An average person with a decent job can afford to pay for, can afford to pay to get sick down here. Yeah. I've even known people who have had surgery and spent months in rehab, and the whole bill came to $10,000 over a three-year period. And that's like before noon at a hospital in the United States, you've racked up $10,000 worth of yeah. $175 Tylenol tablets and right. dot, 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 right? Yeah. Um, I, once, uh, I once had a little motorcycle accident in which my motorcycle got totaled, but I was okay and my, and my passenger was pretty much okay, although she had a few scrapes, so they decided to call an ambulance and bring her, right? So I got in the ambulance with her. We went like three blocks to the hospital in an ambulance. And while I was in the in the ambulance, I had a little bit of I had a scrape on my nose and a tiny bit of blood, tiny bit of blood on my nose. And so the ambulance, one of the EMT guys, just kind of pointed up at his nose, like you got a little you got a little something on your nose here, and handed me a band aid, just an average band aid from the drugstore. And I put it on my nose. And when we got the bill, the band, the itemized bill, the band aid was eighty dollars, an eighty dollar band aid on an ambulance. Tell me that's not criminal. It's fucking criminal. Oh, my 85-year-old mother needs uh, cataract eye drops. These little small... The bottle is no bigger than the last joint of your little finger. I mean, it's a tiny little bottle. And it is $777 in the United States. With her insurance, she pays $125 for that bottle. And it's prescription only. In Mexico, you can buy it over the counter for $40. Same package, same box, same everything. The instructions are in English. This is this is um, the American yeah. healthcare system. Yeah. It's that's the kind of shit that I get angry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things that are um, worth getting angry. Children about. in in prison at the border in the current Trump administration. That's something that they need to be proud of. I think. Yeah, that's that that thing by itself just 
that's the kind of thing that would uh it just if i talk about it too long i will uh yeah well i'll you, get upset I, well and you're <laughs> right to do so you the way that i feel like just in my casual observation of your 33 plus year career <laughs> is that you deal with that in a nice way uh, you, you you help well, it, it's almost like um uh, like you get so angry about it or you have like such a, a yeah. passion for it that you help other people deal with it. It's like... Uh, I, I do get that comment a lot that people people appreciate my expressing their feelings yeah. in, in a public you know uh, forum. And, and I, I totally get that. Of course, the same thing happens to me when I hear a song or watch a movie or whatever or see a cartoon where somebody has like really nailed something that's important yeah. to me I'm like I want to write this person a letter and just thank them, thank them. Yeah. I just want to thank them you made me feel good this afternoon right? because you said something that that I've been thinking in the middle of the night when I yeah. can't sleep you know and I really appreciate it I like yeah. that, that image of yours the ladle full of jeans that got dumped <laughs> into your particular mix I wonder you know, we're we're all made up of God knows what, or yeah. maybe not God, who knows what, uh, sort of things. Like that, you're the kind of person who can maybe channel uh, feelings through art or through story and art and and jokes. Well, you know, this is one thing that the cartoon syndication thing. This is one way in which it benefited me. Is that it forced me to practice putting my ideas into a digestible form day after day after day, year after year. And the funny thing is, is that if you learn, like everything else, you learn what is what works and what doesn't. Yeah. At first, those kinds of cartoons were. Oh, my mother used to call them axe grinders. Oh, that's one of your axe grinding cartoons. Because <laughs> she, she, you know, the term that I, right, if, you're, right. if you're upset about something, if you're you railing about something, you're grinding an axe. And I was like, yeah, I guess it is. But you don't want to, it's like at first I would just pummel people over the head with my ideas. And then over time you learn how to kind of disguise them. And I think the best trick is to find a way to lead the reader to the idea instead yeah. of telling it to them every time and that's the key leading somebody to information instead of just hitting them with it yeah and that's something that you learn to do over time and practice i wouldn't have pra i wouldn't be as good at it if i hadn't been forced by my syndication contract to do it every day for so many years yeah you know? so yeah yeah we're fine I, I'm, I'm not getting rained on yet okay did you uh was that your idea to do it seven days a week or did you choose that or was that just like that when you say you were forced um uh, when you say um, you were you were forced by the the syndication company, <laughs> this is I just want to share with the folks at home. This I've been sitting here the whole time without my headphones on, and and now it's starting to rain. I can't I could I I can't I can't hear the question. So, so Andrew's like he points to the headphones like oh these things in my lap. Yeah, so I just put them on and now I can hear better. Well, I don't know that it'll help much. Uh, no, it's, but, uh, it's a lot better. You're, now you're in my ears instead of over there with my yeah. soft, mumbly voice. Well, no, you have a distance. lovely voice. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise, man. I, but no, I was, I was asking if, you're, uh, if it was your idea to do seven days a week. Is that something you wanted? Or is that well, like you just had to take it? Or? Well, that's the job. Um, yeah, when you, when you... I mean, I knew that going in. I, I wanted... I decided, hey, maybe I could be a newspaper cartoonist. I wanted to be a fine artist, but I just couldn't, you know... I didn't know how to make that happen when I was a kid. 
growing up in Oklahoma. Um, so anyway, I thought, yeah, I, 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 but I, I thought there'd be a lot more money in it than there was. I, I didn't realize that when I first got signed, like they syndicated, they, they, you know, I signed a five or 10 year contract to do this every day. And I thought, oh, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna make a fortune. And then I found out that basically you only make a percentage of the number of newspapers who buy your cartoon. And they have to sell them one newspaper at a time. There's not no, there's no group that's just going to buy your cartoon all of a sudden. It's like one, one newspaper at a time. And so for the first, I think my first syndication, my first monthly check was $100 or something. And I thought, oh, wow. This is the worst get-rich-quick scheme I ever came up with. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I think the first year would have been 1985. And I think at the end of the first year, I had made around $1,000 or something. Shit. It was like $1,200. Wow. Uh, so I had to keep my full-time job. And then I had a full-time job writing and drawing cartoons at night after I got home. So oh I ended up God. with two full-time jobs, only one of which was actually paying me anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a bit of a surprise. But um, so, yeah, that's just the job is that you do it. You, ha- you, you do it seven days a week. They, you know, newspapers want to buy a cartoon that they can put in a slot and forget about. Just drop it in there every day and, you know, they don't want to have to trade it out or just feature it once a week or whatever. So that's what you have to do. So do you even have a cutting room floor? Is there like anything that you just like? Yeah, you, like, like stuff that I would edit out. Yeah, like I just, well, I can't do this. Or uh, Let me ask you this, let rephrase the question. Are there things you are just like, okay, this is too sensitive. I can't. The, the industry kind of comes with that in the first place. Um, the newspaper, especially back then, it's, it's more liberal now, but back then it was more conservative than primetime TV mm-hmm. in that you couldn't use profanity. You right. couldn't refer to sexuality for the most part. You couldn't, you know, religion was a very touchy subject. You could do jokes about God or Bible characters, but not Jesus. You can't do a joke about Jesus in the newspaper cartoons. You can't. I think you kind of can now, but back then, like that was just completely off limits. Like rendering um, his image was. Yeah, it was just. Verboten. Yeah, I know. I mean, American wow. Christians think that the that the that Muslims and the Taliban are like so strict and stuff. But yeah, try try doing a Jesus cartoon and publishing that in a newspaper in Omaha. Not going down, you know, or 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 Wichita. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a firestorm. Like people are up in arms because you have drawn their their Messiah. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's 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 a similar kind of sensitivity. Yeah. No, they don't. You know, literal. It's not a literal fireball. Yeah, they don't, don't literally come after you, but it's it's a big deal to people. So there's right. there's all these kind of rules that you learn right off the bat, and so you kind of can't get too controversial. They just don't allow it. Right, know? right. Um, and, 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 then it, and then it becomes a game over time to figure out ways to sneak controversial ideas into newspaper comics legally. Yes. So that they're not, so that, you, you know, with, with some kind of um, plausible deniability almost. Yeah. Stylishly <laughs> subversive, I think. Good yeah, good. yeah. And I've, and I've managed to do that. I can't, I wish, oh, I should never even brought up this story. Yeah, without because an example, I can't, it's not I can't real. recall your example, but I've done this a number of times. Where it's like, this was so much fun. I actually snuck this into the comics, and yeah, nobody yeah. complained because it's it's sort of a it's one of those things where sometimes you can do things where 
if a person gets it, they get it. If they don't get it, they don't even get it. Yeah. So it's like they don't complain. <laughs> like there, there's that. That's yeah. that's like the quintessential way to sneak something into the comics. Is yeah. it's oh, this is only for people who understand this. Yeah. And for those of you who don't understand it, you're not even gonna you're not gonna understand it, so you won't complain. The people who would complain are the ones, you know, the ones who don't understand it are not the ones who would complain. Is that, that the, kind of thing. the remedy to our outrage culture? <laughs> that might be it, man. The, just like oh, more man, complex right? jokes. That has become, yeah, that's the national pastime in the United States now is is the, the indignant victim. Yeah. I have been wronged. I've been fucked over I've here. been wronged by something someone accidentally said. Yeah. Without thinking of me at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. There was this amazing thing that happened in a, a few months ago. A, um, M- MIT, I think they did, a, they did some kind of a, a study. They published a study that they had done where they described why counterculture hipster types end up looking the same. They're trying to look, they're trying to be against culture, yet they create right. their own culture and they all look alike. Right. And like, why do hipsters all look alike? And they had this picture of this hipster dude who looks very much like, like you and me. me. Yeah, yeah. Handsome guy with a beard and a plaid shirt and yeah. maybe suspenders yeah. and trousers and old boots. And they're doing the whole like Brooklyn artisanal, right. that thing, right? Yeah. Okay, so a week later, <laughs> there was another story that said this, this guy... This model, who had been photographed in this way many times, was furious that they had used his photo because he didn't, he didn't sign off on it. He didn't sign a release for them to use his photo, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So they went and go, well, what's the deal? So the people who you know, did this, they look back and, I, and they look up the name of the, it's not the guy. He mistook the guy in the picture for oh. himself because they all look alike. <laughs> it was like proving the point. It was the most hilarious follow-up of a news story I think I've ever heard. Oh, that is this, so This guy perfect. got a lawyer and was threatening to sue MIT for publishing this oh, article, and, and he found it insulting. We don't all look alike, etc. You didn't ask permission for, to, to ridicule me in this way in public. Hey, it's not you, dude. It's uh, another guy who looks just like you and a million other people in the United right. States right now. But thank you so much for proving our exactly. point. Exactly. So I know, it's so funny. Oh, that's beautiful. And I get it. I mean, I, I'm a hipster too. I look a certain way because I think it's cool and eccentric. And meanwhile, there's other people who look the same as I do. I it's mean, just human nature. None of us are really all that individualistic. And I, I, right. honestly, sometimes when someone is like, outrageously individualistic it's like it's an effort it's a lot of fucking work man like a clown a clown has to put on a lot of makeup and the weird clothes they gotta shop at a weird place you gotta, it's a lot of work man it's a good expression a clown has to put on a lot of makeup yeah yeah i know it's true um it's just the uh it's like we yeah we all have, we all i i love authentic i love nothing more than an authentic eccentric and I and I and I like nothing less. I like few things less than a phony eccentric, like totally. someone pretending to be. Yeah, we and we've, yeah. we've all met both of those, of course, for sure. Like, yeah, uh, I, I've. I think I talk about this all the time, but whatever. <laughs> you and I have never talked about it. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of really old friends in my life, like much yeah. older than me. Like when I was a, right. a twelve-year-old, one of my best friends was seventy-two years old. Whoa! I love that guy. He, was, he used to be an artist for Disney, like just oh, cool. like a you know background like sketching. Yeah, yeah. Artist. Uh, he'd fought in the Korean War. Super interesting guy. He smelled terrible. He was exuberantly. Uh, nonsensically loquacious would just talk nonstop. yeah uh no one really got into talking to him i think it's fun i love that guy a genuine eccentric and he was like kind of creepy but a good guy yeah and i love people then, like that yeah, like 
I, I was never taken with like someone who was real cool. You know, like yeah. it just didn't. It wasn't for me. Like I, I've seen what cool looks like, and it's disgusting. And it's <laughs> it's not. You know, this is not cool to me. Your well put together persona is a it's a facsimile of what this guy achieves with zero effort. You know. Take 27. Take 27. Longest <laughs> podcast ever. Uh, we've uh, transitioned down to the studio. Uh, we're hanging out in what I'm very privileged, uh, a room I'm very privileged to be in, looking at works in progress, which uh, I haven't the um, experience or the education. We've, we've actually talked to a lot of artists on this show, and it's impossible for me to talk to describe art effectively. So uh, do you mind describing what you're doing in this room? Um, in general, any, in, <laughs> or, or do you mean this painting, or any either? Yeah, well, specifically or generally. Yeah. Whatever feels well, so right. this is my art. Yeah, this is my art studio. Um, this is my non-cartoon art studio. In the other room, there's two rooms in this little enclosure here. And the other room is where my computer is, where I do all the cartoon art, which I used to do by hand. In the last uh, six or seven years, I guess I've been doing by computer because it's just so much more versatile and easy to, to, to and quick anyway um so the other uh, room is for cartooning but this room is for what i've been trying to get to all my life uh all those years that i was working and drawing uh, while i was drawing the cartoons and stuff I, you know s writing and drawing seven cartoons a week doesn't sound like a lot but the things you have to like writing a joke people always say how long does it take to write a joke well Anywhere from one second to your whole life. I don't know. Yeah. How do you answer that? How yeah. long does it take to get an idea? I, I don't know. It's sometimes a long time. Sometimes you sit and stare at blank paper for an, uh, for four minutes and get a great idea. And other times it's four hours and nothing. And you come back the next day and try again. That's, that's the weird part of this job is trying to come up with a brand new idea every day. And then when you finish it, of course, then you got to write it. I mean, you got to draw it, ink it. Um, format it on the computer, put it in the right shape and size, and then change it into a strip format, and then color it in Photoshop, because now everything's in color online. You know, it's like a big job. It takes a long time. So when I was doing commercial, I mean, when I was doing the cartoons uh, constantly, seven days a week, I didn't have time to do many paintings at all. So I kept thinking it. I, it always sort of felt like... <clears throat> Or I guess I should say that when I, I felt like I was doing my homework all those years and that when I was finished, I'd be able to go out and play. And that was how I always thought of it. So when I finally went into this semi-retirement mode, when I retired, I thought, oh, now I can play. Now I can paint. Uh, after all those years of homework, now I get to go outside and have fun. So this is my room for having fun. And um, uh, I've, I, I created a bunch of uh, watercolors. These are, these are uh, well, that one right behind you is an oil painting. But and the big ones downstairs that you saw were oil paintings, but this one on the table that I'm working on now is a watercolor, and I really love doing watercolor because I, 
I tend to paint watercolor. I don't use watercolor the way you're supposed to use it, <laughs> which I did naturally as a teenager. I naturally, uh, okay, well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of a long story behind this, but it's not a long story. But it, that's the point in podcasts, isn't it? Stories. Yeah, yes. This is a fun thing for me. It's a. I think this is a fun story. Is that um, when I was a, a kid, I uh, I mentioned earlier that I, I just had genetically, I just was built in with a lot of talent, so I could, I would try to create these these masterworks of art. You know, as a teenager, I I would like really shoot for the moon, and I, I, and, I and and my biggest influence as a kid was Italian Renaissance art, Michelangelo and Da Vinci and these guys, uh, Sistine Chapel, uh, because we didn't have a lot of art books in my house, but we had a big Bible uh, that had a lot of illustrations, the vast majority of which were from the Italian Renaissance. So I grew up looking through at those pictures, and that to me was art with a capital A. That's art, you know. And so that was the kind of stuff that I was trying to produce. So my family was middle income. Um, so I did, and oil paints are expensive. Like I was, you know, my parents were happy to fund my art career to a degree. But, you know, if I was 15 and wanted to buy $350 worth of oil paint, they were kind of like, nah, why don't you, tell you what, why don't you use these watercolors? So I did that, basically. I just So I started trying to use watercolors, using watercolors to try to emulate um, the art that I saw, which was, in, which was virtually all oil paint oil paintings so i learned to so i kind of formed my art my watercolor style in that manner that was how it happened and then by the time i got to high school and i started and i was painting watercolor like that and i remember my uh, high school art teacher telling me you're not supposed to paint use watercolors like that you're using watercolors like people use oil and and she was actually objecting to that <laughs> she was one Not of the art teachers you. at my high school. It wasn't. It, she actually wasn't the art teacher that I had in my class, but she was one of the other art teachers. And yeah. you know, we, I I knew her, and she knew my work. So, but I didn't realize until that time that that was true. I just thought I like to paint with watercolor. So anyway, I'm kind of back to doing that now. I, I I'm start, I'm doing these big elaborate watercolors. They're, they're, they really should be oil paintings. Um, this one that I'm working on now is this strange kind of it looks like a theater set with puppets and they're standing on boats and there's a carved ham in the middle of an old table and there's a lot of rotting wood and peeling paint and a cat standing in a puddle of water in the corner um and a flag I, it's just all this crazy kind of surreal stuff that um that means something to me on on kind of a subconscious level these these images, I, I, I'm ha I ha when I when I compose these paintings, I kind of have that classic, or at least I'm aiming for that classic experience of just sort of seeing it in your mind and doing it, and then seeing what goes with that and doing it. It's like just following that pure muse. So you don't, I don't plan it ahead of time. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but somehow it's like I'm seeing a character on a on a theater set you know and so then you start to flesh that out and paint it or draw it or whatever and then what's back here maybe this maybe that and so in the end i can look at the whole painting and if after having spent time with it i start to get an idea of what it means to me psychologically or spiritually or whatever it, it and it's a really fun process because it does I, i'm not a person who readily believes in mystical things but it truly feels like it's coming from elsewhere yeah and, I, and I, honestly i'm not a religious person it's hard for me to come to those kinds of 
concepts, but it feels that way, and that's fun. That's what they say. They call being, what is it, being uh, in flow. In flow, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that is one of the damaging things about religion, and I don't want to just shit on religion too much in this podcast. I think people do it more eloquently elsewhere. Sure. But like the, the damage of religion is that we're sheepish about talking about things we don't understand. Right. And that way, and if, if for fear of like somehow velcroing ourselves back to that thing from which we're trying to recover. Yeah. <laughs> I said earlier, I'm a recovering massage therapist. I'm really a recovered Catholic, a fully recovered Catholic. Yo yeah. también. <laughs> see, see. <laughs> Yo. Mismo. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, I like to write stories. I'll, I'll write mm-hmm. things and I'll go back and read them later and realize I'm telling a story to myself. Uh-huh. I'm reading something that, I wanted to tell myself, right. you know what I mean? I, I don't know that it was my exactly. idea. And I, I can, I, that resonates with me. That this picture yeah. is something that's come from yeah. yourself to you via whatever mechanism it is. I, and, and that's an excellent way to put it. I've never thought about it exactly like that, mm. but that's exactly the feeling that I've had with a number of my paintings is that they're telling me something telling about something. myself. Yeah, right? It's interesting. It's, it is like a, and it's, and it's often something that you don't know. Well, I can tell you right now, you may or may not know this, uh, you're a good carpenter. <laughs> I'm looking at just, as someone who <laughs> likes to build things, I'm looking at the way you've built the, the imagery here. Ah. Uh, for one, I really like the way that you do wood. And it's I feel like an asshole right now for talking about something that people cannot see. <laughs> but the way that you've done like the... Uh, the the floor and the the table and this little stool the wood grain is perfect. I you know I mean, it's real wood grain like this is there's a it, it's kind of another funny story behind that. No, hey, you know what? You can see you can see this painting. Oh, good. Go on Instagram. Perfect. At Diego Peraro. P I R A R O. I know it's hard. It's fine. Anyway, but I, my my real name is Daniel Peraro, and that was the name that I used in cartooning. And to change it up a little bit, and because I moved to Mexico, I Diego. decided when I moved here that all the art that all the non cartoon art that I create in Mexico, I will sign as Diego Peraro, which is also a bit of a nod to Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, both of whom, both of whom, most people love Frida Kahlo. They don't know anything about Diego Rivera, but he was. Yeah an incredible genius in and of his own right but um both of them are awesome i I feel like this is reminiscent of diego and and it it, you know what i i would agree with you to i would agree with you some of the in in fact the i think the The lady with the knife the entire manner of that woman she has the essence of a of a character out of one of his murals yeah and who was the character who um we saw in uh in guadalajara who drew those giant murals Oroso, ah, like the imagery with her with a knife, yeah, like that sort of ah, like I love that kind yeah, of Mexican yeah. art. I mean, that's something that Mexico has always done well is art. Mm-hmm. There's so much great art Incredible. from from in from the indigenous folks all the way up to the Europeans. There is just tons of great art in Mexico, yeah. and still is. It's celebrated in a cool yeah. way. It's oh yeah, not like oh, it's, it's valued here. Yeah, it's not like you're just some failing artist who's yeah. You know, yeah, you're doing something beautiful. But I'm sorry, I was <laughs> talking about your uh, your woodworking here. You've got a skill for uh, for carpentry. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're just like observing doors really well or absor- observing things. But well, I, I research my images because I'm a realist. I research my uh, images online. That's that's one thing that I of all the things I curse technology about. One thing that I do love about it is that it uh, it alleviated my having to go to the library to research images all the time, you know, or right. 
the need to have in the old days every artist had rooms full of books yes, for reference for reference uh, but nowadays you've got the internet and you just like tap 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 yeah done there's every picture of that thing that you could ever hope for immediately so i started doing this old wood i did a piece of um oh i know what it was in the previous painting that i did which sold the day i finished it yeah <laughs> in a remarkable coincidence of things but uh, thanks to technology yeah thanks to technology once again um but anyway the, uh, the last painting i did i had this old wooden chair i just put this tiny old wooden chair like a, a little stool really and I found the uh, chipped, scratched up paint and stuff really on the chair and the wood grain under it really, it kind of flowed. Somehow I was just ready to do that and I could see yeah. it in my mind and I created it kind of easily. And I just thought, wow, this looks awesome. I got to do more of this old chewed up peeled paint wood. So when I designed this, when I started on this painting, I put that, ch- that table in the middle and it just came out. I just was so happy with the way that came out. So then I did the stool next to it. I was so happy with the way that came out. I put the door in the background. And now the whole thing, I'm just going to title this, I love wood. Yeah. The whole thing now has got like 25 different kinds yeah, wood grain of wood and grains. Yeah, and the floor. <laughs> and it's, uh, you even did um, the way that you're supposed to do flooring. You're supposed to like space out the gaps, you know, where you, uh, the way you line up the boards and everything. Oh, that, well, everybody knows that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't design a floor yeah. that couldn't actually be built. <laughs> no, I wouldn't paint a floor no, that couldn't actually perfect. be built. It's so good. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm doing with that floor yet, but it's got puddles of water. I'm scared yeah. of it. I have to. I don't have reference for puddles of water on a wooden floor reflecting furniture in exactly this manner. Like, sure. It's really hard to do real. Realism is a hard thing to do if unless you've got great reference. That's the key to realism, great reference. Yeah. And I have no reference for those puddles, so they scare me. And that's why I haven't painted them yet. Oh. <laughs> I haven't had the courage to start. I'm well, afraid I'm going to ruin the whole thing. What a, what a gift to have something like this that you made to ruin. Do you know what I mean? Like Wow. The sort of things that people fuck up, <laughs> generally speaking, are like... I mean, when she and I fuck something up, it's like, oh my God, I just dropped dog food everywhere. I'm an <laughs> asshole. Like that's, you know, that's not very prolific or great. You know, you're like, wow, man, I ruined this masterpiece. <laughs> it's, it's still ruined either yeah, way. And, yeah, yeah, but, you know. yeah, I know what you're saying. That's actually an, 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 an extremely, that's a very uh, kind of an emotionally intelligent way to look at it, I suppose, isn't it? I mean, I still masturbate a lot. Don't Don't really put that much emotional intelligence into what... <laughs> I, kind of guy I am. I don't, sorry. Well, I, I want to talk about. It's not a. It's not a modern pa- podcast until someone says masturbate. <laughs> this is that might be it's the first reference to us being a modern podcast. Actually, I, I wanted to ask about oil and and water watercolor. Can you um, can you put oil into watercolor and make that the medium for making it? Um, I guess pliable or workable. Will it stick to the the paper if you put? oil instead of water or mix well it'll it's a it's a it's a chemistry problem it'll stick to the paper both the watercolor and the oil will stick to the paper but the problem is that they they repel each other right so they don't you can't mix them right so you would end up i don't know what you would do um if if it was anything good it would be being done <laughs> you know what i'm saying because artists that sounds like what your art teacher told you Let's well <laughs> but the thing is artists are an experimental lot yes, and i so. know that millions of people yeah. have mixed oil paints and watercolor paints together to see what they will what do. do yeah 
but you never hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> so but you never hear the, about it being a cool thing. Those don't sell so on day one. I'm guessing oh. it's just very unpredictable. It probably imagine. just won't. It, there's probably just no point in doing it. It just becomes this unpredictable wiggly right. mess. I, I guess I was when you were saying you used watercolor like people would use oh. uh, um, uh, oil, oil paints. Yeah. I wondered what exactly you meant by that. Did like oh. is it just stylistically? Oh, of course, or did yeah. You, of course, that. I, um, yeah, that wouldn't just be assumed. The average person wouldn't know what that meant. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, oil paint, yeah, oil paint is uh, uh, viscous. It's opaque. It's uh, it's easy to smooth. You have a lot of time to smooth it out, smooth it out, smooth it out. You can get these really nice, long, kind of graceful tones. The way mm-hmm. the way a real uh, uh, the way real things are shaded in this very subtle kind of way with no hard line. You know, you can you can do all these wonderful things with with oil paint. Um, and and the end product is is pretty uh, is pretty opaque looking. Mm-hmm. It's you're looking at paint, whereas watercolor is transparent. Um, it bleeds. It dries quickly. Oil stays where you put it. Watercolor bleeds. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the difference between it's like the difference between walking a dog and herding a cat. <laughs> Oil is walking a dog. Watercolor is herding cats mm-hmm. because you've got a matter of seconds to get all these colors to bleed in the way and direction that you want them to. Yeah, um, and then there's no fixing it. The, yeah, there are things you can do. You can try to dab up all in and then cover it over with acrylic and like change paint, a, put acrylic on top right. of it, and make it look like watercolor. And you could do that if you really had to fix a watercolor. Yeah. But generally speaking, you don't try to fix a watercolor because right. once it's stained, it's stained. And so that's the difference. Okay. So a watercolor painting typically, and I don't have an example. Well, a little bit like that one up there on the wall. Do you see the background, the way that's all kind of washy and faded, yes. the purple and the yellow? Yes. That's that's classical watercolor. Right. That's where you just let the watercolor do what it wants to do, um, and and sort of make these lovely bleeding kind of. Uh, and and you can do very you can do pretty realistic stuff, but it has a it has a very it has a very kind of designed sense to it. You don't walk up. It's it's. It's the kind of thing that, like an oil painting, you could be a foot away and think it's a photo. Right. A realistic watercolor painting, you'd maybe have to be 20 feet away and think it's a photo. Yeah. Because of, you know, as you walk closer, you, you see the, the, the uh, bleeding kind of uh, fray lines or the, the yeah. um, soaked parts of the paint and stuff. You know, you start to see that as you get closer. You're yeah. like, oh, this is not a photo. This is watercolor. Anyway, but see, my stuff, I tend to paint tight and Mm-hmm. And opaque and controlled in small, detailed ways instead of large, splashy. And that right. was what that teacher was referring to. Gotcha. I was in many ways, I was ignoring the beauty of watercolor because mm-hmm. that, that, that stuff when the colors bleed and stuff, that's a beautiful thing. Sure. So she's, she was right to point out that I was missing something yeah. about watercolor. <laughs> but I was yeah. also doing something else that often doesn't get done at all. So I just, yeah. you know. I heard, um, or I read a, a very interesting sentence that just made me, when you said uh, it's the difference between walking a dog or herding cats. Yeah. A guy wrote uh, in this book, The Inconvenient Indian was the name of the book, which is an amazing title. No kidding. Anyway, but his sentence, he was saying how much he begrudged having to write history, even though no one was making him do it. He said he preferred fiction. He said, for me, writing fiction fiction is buttering toast, whereas writing history is herding porcupines with your elbows. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone out there that's in your pursuit yeah, and uh, link, linking it to things. So uh, thanks for explaining the, the <laughs> art to me. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, um, 
I want to just before it's all said and done, because we've got uh, another your your wife. Congratulations, by the way, you've been married for a month. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, can I say your name? Is it okay, or are you just oil, olive oil? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I told him that the whole point. I told him the whole point behind the olive oil thing was to not to drag a private person into right, a public forum. Protect but your anonymity. Your, of course, it's your name, so you could yeah. use it or not. Yeah. Her real name is Christy. Hi, Christy. Hi. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. You're not on mic. You're like uh, the watercolor of podcasting. You're just in the background coming through <laughs> two microphones. A little cloudy. You know? <laughs> a little cloudy. But, uh, I wanted to, uh, before, I mean, your art, uh, specifically your, your, um, your cartoon art, has been talked about. I'm sure you've been interviewed countless times. People are very aware of it aware of it and it's a i think probably the literal definition of prolific there's so much of it out there people can explore it but i'm as a new fan of yours uh, i'm fascinated with a specific aspect of it i mean not just the, the the writing a joke a day but like it's one thing to write a joke in your brain like okay this is going to be a joke about x but then to translate it into a way that you know there's either yeah, you've got a subject, you've got objects, you've got things all happening together to to portray that joke in a way. You know, it's uh, I I don't have the mind for that sort of thing. I can't take that much abstract. I can maybe take one abstract thing and apply it to some crackpot thing I want to say, but to 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 paint it out literally and figuratively the way that you do, what influence in your life made that possible for you? What I mean. You started, do, you got the job to do it. So I know that practice must have helped you make it better, but what made yeah. you the kind of human being who can do that sort of thing? Again, I, I think I, I think we have to go back to the uh, the dip I got with the ladle in the gene pool. I, yeah. just, I, I think I got a gene for thinking of things in, uh, in kind of an objective way that I'm, I'm very much a deconstru- deconstructionist. I, I didn't even learn that word until the second half of my life. I didn't even know what it meant, but I've always been one. <laughs> Once I learned the definition, I was like, oh yeah, that's how I write jokes. Um, it's to look at, uh, as a little kid, I remember looking at different situations that I had been taking for granted, but just like I'm sitting in Catholic church in, in uh, Ponca City, Oklahoma, small town in Oklahoma in the 60s, and I'm six years old, and I'm sitting there thinking, I remember thinking this, what are these people, why are, why are we all in this same room wearing so many clothes on a, on a day as hot as this in Oklahoma in the summer, listening to this man talk in a foreign language? I was just de- deconstructing it and wondering why, what do we, because I had already, I mean, I'd already assumed all that other stuff about God and Jesus and Mary and why we were in the church. And I knew all that because I was going to, I was in a Catholic family, right? And headed to Catholic school. But I still would deconstruct it and think, like, why Why does my dad wear so many clothes to work in the middle of summer when it's so hot? The rest of us are wearing shorts and T-shirts, and he's got trousers and socks and shoes and a shirt and a scarf and a coat, you know, just tie and jacket, because he worked, in a, you know, worked for an oil company or whatever. And I just remember deconstructing things as a child, and I think that's the way I write jokes, is I deconstruct it and then sort of spit it back in a way that enables the reader to see... Oh gosh, that we do do that, aren't we funny? And that's the joke, you know. It's like that simple. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you're saying it was Jesus that gave you this gift? <laughs> it was in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah, yeah. It might have been. <laughs> it was the boredom of sitting in church at at, a, at an early age. And back then, uh, Catholic Mass was held Latin. in Latin. Yeah, and I no, missed that. Yeah, and the point of it was that the parishioners didn't understand. Yeah, that to was the point the, of it. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a side. That was not a side effect. I can uh, that that resonates with me. I feel like "resonate" is a real podcaster type of word. That resonates with me, even if it, but yes. it, that does. I, I really it has feel a, that it has a resonance. It does have it a does. resonance. But there's something about that being in specifically the Catholic Church because there's so much weird mystical shit on the walls. Like there's yeah. literal images oh, of yeah. suffering, the, the ultimate suffering in front of you, but in the, the stations of the cross being around you. Yeah. And uh, earlier when we were upstairs on your roof and we were in this, that glass wall thing that you put the little pieces of tape up to prevent the bird uh, right. suicides, in our church where I went uh, from, I don't know, like age of five till I was maybe 18, mm. the birds were constantly, you would hear these just loud bangs <laughs> every Sunday. And not once did anyone ever think, they're like, well, I, got, I don't know, every once in a while the bird just flies into them. And so uh, there was like all this death and suffering, the super somber music, this uh, occasional cataclysmic <laughs> suicidal bird. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I would sit in that that uh, that environment and think of all kinds of madness. I right. mean, just like it's uh, a, it's a great place to think it, when you're a kid, really especially is. if it's an old because this was an old fashioned church yeah. with stained glass windows yep. with with a lot of images of suffering and yeah. torture. Like our stained glass windows in our church were not, some of them are like nice, you know, it's like yeah. Mary and some flowers. And ours were like Andrew, you know, St. Andrew yeah. tied to a pole full of arrows. Yes. Uh, that kind of stuff. You know, Peter crucified upside down, yeah. uh, you know, with a snake in his ass or something. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was just the, it was just disgusting. Yeah. And that, Jesus up there wearing, you know, a loincloth. He's the only yeah. guy who's really dressed for the weather. <laughs> appropriately everybody exactly. else is getting it wrong he's like uh, follow uh, pay attention that's right that, you know that was this was one of the ways in which he in in uh in in in, in what's the word and spanish is ruining my english i say that five times a day this is one of the w ways in which he was inviting us to follow him yes follow me wear fewer clothes in church yeah Jesus, which Jesus that was another thought i had very often in church there like there's all these you know like good smelling beautiful women everywhere which i thought was fascinating i loved that bit of church that were like there was all this like uh sort of forbiddenness around sexuality oh yeah that made it so much better you know like <laughs> some of the the and i say this with all due respect and love to my wife who i, I cannot get enough of sexually and personally but like some of the the most sexual crazy moments of my young life were in in moments where we were meant to be focusing on God and like <laughs> on on Jesus and on repentance and all these things, yeah. I, there was, I remember one of the dirtiest sexual encounters of my young life, or really of my life. We were in like a, a overnight sleeping situation. You remember, like back in the seventies and eighties, they had those partition walls that were like oh, on yeah. tracks. You could yeah. like close off a wall, but there was always a gap at the bottom. Yeah, I remember I slept right next to the the shutting wall. And a girl that I liked slept on right on the other side. And all we could fit through were like our hands and like, you could almost like not get your tongue on the carpet. And like, we're just making out and just like 
groping underneath this wall. Oh, I, that's an amazing story. I thought you were just going to say that you could see her underneath no, the wall or no, something. We but had you like guys this, were actually trying to make out through a half inch uh, gap below a door, underneath the door, and just touching whatever whatever you get your yeah. And this that is for is Jesus. the most erotic thing I have ever heard. For Jesus, <laughs> for Jesus, it was. I mean. That's my incredible. mom is, God, I'm going to see my mom like in two days. I feel bad telling this story, but like it was, it's one of those things that like through the things you're not supposed to do, you wind up experiencing all these amazing things. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder like, well, what is the harm in that? Why is that verboten? Why can't yeah. we have this? Yeah. Anyway, sorry to oh. just lay that super yeah. sultry story on you. That's it. Oh. <laughs> I'm a little out of breath. Let's go have a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move this podcast to another room. <laughs> oh man! Well, listen. I, I know you've got shit to do. I, I, I can't. Just can't be all day. That's exactly what I have to do. I have some job have, that. Yeah, I have some job to do that. I I, I, I'm tremendously grateful for your time for getting to meet you. Um, big shout out to Doctor Uncle Chris Ryan, who <laughs> Doctor Uncle Chris, who's connected us. Uh, you know, he's like. He's in Colorado right now doing some fun, interesting thing, and he's he's still, always doing something fun and interesting. Yeah, he's the guy. Well, uh, well, I've had a great time meeting you. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. And we're gonna put up links to anything you want to link to. You have a kind of surprisingly large number of URLs to your <laughs> name, and you've I got know. fine art. You've got yeah. Bizarro. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, dot com is where my fine art stuff is on the regular web. At Diego Peraro is where I am. My fine art is on the Instagram. And on the other side of my life, Bizarro.com. And on Facebook, I think it's Dan Peraro Bizarro Comics. (laughs) I don't know why it's such a big, long name on Facebook. Why not? I'm not good at the internet. I mean... You're doing fine by me. It didn't even exist until I was 40. <laughs> You've mastered it. You're already selling things day one of production. Yeah. That's just it. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, connecting with us via the internet. And um, Thank you. And you guys are on this long journey. I wish you uh, a lot of fun and exciting adventures ahead. Indeed. Yeah. I'm going to be, I for one, will be paying attention. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to be following. All right. We'll try not to say anything else dumber than I've... This is the new bar. I can't go any lower. <laughs> okay. <Congrats. laughs> Cheers. Thank you, Dan. Viajo sin rumbo fijo en mis bocas viejas Cabos sueltos enlazan a mi cabeza Si pensabas ir al lugar Donde los paganos van Póngalo junto Invitación extraño Alguien arrastra mis huesos 
Nosotros ascendemos en la tarde Y recuerdo tu sonrisa Con el viento salvaje Hay algo vacío cuando empieza Viejas cabos sueltos en la sanda mi cabeza. Si pensabas ir al lugar donde los ganos van, póngalo junto. Invitación extraño 